0: Hello, and welcome to Wooden Teeth, a podcast about health, politics, and policy. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today on the pod, we're gonna talk about economic inequality and its effect on our mental health and more with Richard Wilkinson. He is the co-author, along with Kate Pickett, of a new book titled, The Inner Level, How More Equal Societies Reduce Stress, Restore Sanity, and Improve Everyone's Well-Being. Richard is also the co-founder of The Equality Trust, an organization that works to improve the quality of life in the UK by reducing economic inequality. His book, The Inner Level, examines the effects of inequality in many countries, but includes a lot of focus on the US, so I thought the book and our conversation would be an interesting one to share with you all. Before we get to our chat, I just want to share one programming note. We're gonna switch to an every other week schedule for the pod. For reasons including the fact that we're interested in having some more time to produce episodes that go beyond one conversation and instead delves deeper into a topic in multiple ways, stay tuned, I think you're going to like where we're going. For now, let's go to my conversation with Richard Wilkinson. Richard Wilkinson, welcome. Thank you.
1: It's nice to be with you.
0: So in the book, you describe how some countries fail to live up to their stated ideals. Uh, America, for example, has built itself as the land of opportunity. But you contend that we fall far short of that description. How are we failing to live up to that ideal here in America?
1: Well, we took that as, as meaning uh, Americans thought the social mobility was high, that uh, you had a really good chance of uh, moving from uh, poverty or low social status uh, to, um, uh, to wealth and high status. But actually, there's less social mobility in the United States than most of the other rich developed countries. And uh, it seems to be strongly related to the amount of income inequality. In a sense, what the data suggests is that um, rich parents always have ways of passing on their advantages to their children and poor children, poor parents, perhaps their, their disadvantages to their children. So with bigger income inequality, social mobility seems to slow uh, and the ones the countries with highest social mobility uh, are countries like uh, Denmark, which have much smaller income differences between rich and poor.
0: But if we live in the richest country in the world and the economic floor, so to speak, is lifted for all citizens in absolute terms, how much does the gap between that floor and the upper echelon matter? At the end of the day, aren't the poorest among us here in America still better off than the average person in, say, Somalia?
1: Well, it looks as if we we judge how well we're doing um, through, if you like, social comparisons. Uh, so what hurts uh, is being low on the social ladder. Um, being poor in relation to other people. Uh, There's a very nice piece of uh, international research which interviewed people in poverty in countries like India and Pakistan, but also uh, people in poverty in middle-income countries and also rich countries like United Kingdom and Norway. Uh, And, of course, poverty means totally different things in those different societies. In Norway, it probably means living in a three-bedroomed house with uh, central heating and uh, uh, flat-screen television and so on. In India, it means living in a a shack with a mud floor and no sewerage. And yet the experience of poverty in those very different countries is that same sense of failure uh, of shame, of being looked down on, regarded as inferior and so on um, and the anxiety and stress that goes with that um, so the sensitivity is not about where your country's average standard of living is, uh, particularly once it's got to the levels of, uh, common in the rich developed world, uh, it's about where you are in relation to other people that's what really matters and um, I often say there's a sort of naive view of inequality, that um, a lot of people think it only matters if it creates uh, extreme poverty. Uh, But actually, it's much more to do with creating feelings of superiority and inferiority, uh, dominance and subordination, if you like, And that means that changes the quality of social relationships and and creates social divisions in our society. And uh, really, that's what we've been studying.
0: So is there an evidence based connection between economic inequality and things like anxiety, depression and other mental illness?
1: Uh, Yes, but I I should say first that in an earlier book called The Spirit Level, we looked at uh, endless different uh, health and social problems, not only life expectancy and infant mortality rates and so on, but also uh, at levels of homicide, um, at uh, strength of community life, the proportion of the population in prison, children's maths and literacy scores and so on. And we find that almost all the problems which are more common in, in the at the bottom of society, um, like violence, like poor health, like poor educational performance in school children, those problems are more common throughout the society in more unequal societies. The bigger the gap between rich and poor, the worse the performance on all those kind of things. But, uh, as I said before, what's important is the way in which we're judging ourselves in relation to each other and feel judged by other people. Um, And it looks as if uh, we we become much more aware of these social judgments um, and stressed by uh, worries about how others judge us. Uh, It looks uh, to us as if there are um two responses uh, if you feel that you're living in a very judgmental society, one is that you uh, if you like you're overcome by feelings of self-doubt, low sense of self-worth um, uh, low self-esteem and so on. you withdraw from social life you you become depressed and so on uh, and we find more depression in more unequal societies. But the other is that uh, you deal with that sense of being judged by your status and so on by bigging yourself up. Uh, you find sort of forms of self-enhancement, self-advertisement, or what you might call self-aggrandizement. Um, you become more narcissistic, uh, trying to put on a big, fe- a better face, if you like, present a positive image to other people all the time, and... Uh, you see a range of mental illnesses going with that. Um, the, the evidence, um, part of it is the statistical evidence of what mental illnesses are more or less common in more unequal societies. Uh, but also we now know more about the, the causal processes. So, for instance, the part of our brain's Uh, which uh, uh, neurologists, psychologists refer to as the dominance behavioral system, which is the part of our brains that I suppose, uh, even amongst monkeys, uh, it's important in in judging social status, uh, knowing how to behave in relation to dominant animals in the troop or subordinates, knowing your place in society and so on. Uh, And it looks as if quite a range of mental illnesses Uh, are related to uh, the way in which social hierarchy uh, triggers um, that uh, dominance behavioral system, as I say, making us more worried about uh, how we're seen and judged.
0: What role, if any, does social media play in all this? You mentioned that um, part of this has to do with um, one's estimation of where one falls with respect to the rest of society on the economic ladder, and that um, people are more inclined to um, engage in narcissistic narcissistic behavior, um, or puff oneself up. Um, Does social media play a catalytic role in the form of making you even more aware via these curated posts that people are living better than you are and increase your motivation? uh, to perhaps put on a, uh, a better face, uh, a better representation of your life than you're perhaps living?
1: Yes. I think that, uh, I, I think we have to recognize that social media is just a, a, a channel for messaging. Um, and of course how we use it, uh, is affected by the kind of society we live in. um, And uh, it's clear that in our very unequal societies, and Britain is almost as unequal as the United States, uh, that um, the social media are used in, if you like, more aggressive ways. I mean, there's been a lot about uh, uh, children being bullied on the uh, social media um, at school and so on, um, and uh, occasional suicides induced by... By that. Um, And actually, that goes very well with the evidence we have that bullying in schools is much, much more common in more unequal societies. And it's, you see, bullying is a sort of dominance behavior. And you find that uh, rates of bullying are are perhaps 12 times as common in uh, societies with bigger income differences. So you see that the way it creeps into.
0: Uh,
1: A huge range of our behavior and our uh, relationships to each other and colors the way we use our social media. Um, I should say that you also see this, the tendency to big yourself up in, in consumerism. Um, And the most obvious way in which we try and present a good front to other people is by wearing the right things, having the latest phone and driving a smart car and so on. And there are studies which show if you live in a more unequal area, uh, you're more likely to spend your money on a flashy car um, or fashionable clothes or whatever. Um, that, you know, these worries about how we're seen and judged really are more intense in those societies.
0: We've talked about the U.S. You mentioned that the U.K. um, is uh, close behind in terms of inequality. Which countries are doing a good job of um, preventing inequality and, and what are the effects on the population as a result?
1: Well, most of the rich, developed countries have uh, tended to become more unequal since around about 1980. I mean, the, the rot set in, I suppose, with um, um, Reagan and, and Thatcher um, and neoliberal economics, uh, free market fundamentalism, if you like. Um, it's then that income differences really widened so dramatically. Um, but despite that widening, it's happened much more in in some countries than others. Um, so there was a time when Britain and the United States were amongst the more equal countries. In the 1960s and 70s, uh, top tax rates were enormously much higher than they are now, and we were much more equal societies. Um, But uh, the more equal ones, the countries that have remained more equal only with small rises in inequality, tend to be the Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, uh, Belgium. Um, uh, Also, Japan has done quite well. But they've been, even those countries, as I say, have been moving in the wrong direction recently.
0: In the book, you discuss the changing relationship between a country's per capita income and life expectancy. Can you describe uh, how that's changing and why?
1: Yes. um, Economic growth uh, and average income levels, GNP per capita, if you like, um, it's very important to raise material standards in poorer countries in the developing world where many people haven't got basic necessities. And uh, With early rises in in living standards in whole populations, you see life expectancy improving and and measures of happiness improve. All sorts of outcomes improve. But as you move towards the richer developed societies, where most people have the basic necessities, the vast majority of us are not short of food and so on, Uh, then you find uh, that, in a way, Having more of everything does less and less good. Um, and so the link between life expectancy and GNP per capita is lost. You can look in the rich developed world, it rises in GNP per capita and rises in uh, life expectancy, and they're unrelated. Even if you look at uh, long-term change over periods of as much as 20 or even 40 years, It's hard to find any relationship between them, Uh, though in earlier stages in development uh, economic growth was an important driver of human well-being. It's just that it ceased to be now in the rich world.
0: So you also have an interesting chapter in this book called The Misconception of Meritocracy. Can you describe that concept?
1: Yes. Um, I think most people regard the um, social hierarchy, the social pyramid, uh, as if it was a reflection of uh, perhaps innate differences in ability, But now as we learn more about the the malleability of the the human brain, particularly early in life, uh, and know that whatever we do is reflected in the restructuring of our our brain. So, you know, if you learn a different language or if you learn to dance or learn a musical instrument, you can actually see uh, what that does to to brain structure. So our abilities are primarily a fraction of, of what we do and uh, increasingly it looks as if instead of the social hierarchy reflecting prior differences in ability, it looks as if the relationship is rather the other way around. The differences in, an, in ability are a reflection of where you are, where you start off in the social hierarchy. So if you start off in poverty, you have less stimulation, fewer um educational opportunities and so on, you do less well for all sorts of reasons. Um, and uh, the opposite if you're you're well off. And so it's the higher social hierarchy itself which creates the differences in ability. There's one very interesting set of experiments, uh, psychological experiments, um, which are called stereotype threat experiments. Uh, One particularly well-known example um, quoted in a World Bank report uh, is uh, involved Indian children from high and low castes. They were given little pen and paper tests to do. uh, And uh, when they didn't know which caste each of them was in, they didn't know who was high and low caste, the high and low caste kids did equally well. But as soon as they did know who was high and low caste, a great gap opened up in performance and lower caste kids did uh, less well. So there are uh, effects of social position, even simply in terms of our understanding uh, uh, how, how our view of where we are in society affects performance. The same thing has been shown not only for Indian castes, but social class, ethnicity, even gender um, has been shown to uh, in these social stereotypes, threat experiments uh, to affect performance.
0: So in societies in which we have stark economic inequality, are the resulting negative effects limited to the people at the bottom or are there effects that extend beyond that lower strata?
1: Well, we were very puzzled by this initially. We saw um, very large effects of the amount of inequality in society. So, uh, for instance, um, there are some studies which show that homicides are ten times as high in American states or Canadian provinces with bigger income differences than the ones with smaller income differences. Uh, And similarly, huge uh, differences, as I mentioned, in the frequency of bullying in different societies or the proportion of the population in prison. And it's clear that this can't be driven just by, I don't know, the poorest 10% in societies. And now there's studies which show, although the biggest effects of inequality uh, are at the bottom of the social hierarchy, uh, actually um, almost all of us do less well in a more unequal society. So even if you're well off with a good job and a good education, uh, if you lived in a more equal society, you might live a little bit longer. Your children might do a bit better at school, you'd be less likely to become a victim of violence. In, In that sense, we'd all do better in a more equal society. So effects biggest at the bottom of society but and tapering off uh, higher up the social hierarchy, but uh, still um, appreciable effects on the vast majority of the population.
0: So is that because that being uh, negative effects that impact uh, people who are not just in the lower strata, but in the middle and upper strata, are they seeing... Um, A decline in length of life and other negative effects, because society as a whole experiences an unhelpful turbulence, and that affects the lives of the people in the middle and the top, whether they like it or not. Is that a fair summary? Or am I I understanding this correctly?
1: Yes, I think so. I think that's that's right. Um, And the basic cause is that uh, this tendency to judge each other uh, by status uh, goes all the way up. I remember reading a newspaper article by a well-known journalist who interviewed bankers, these people getting multi-million pound or dollar salaries. And she said, you surely can't spend all this money. Um, You know, what does it do for you? And the banker she was talking to said, well, it tells me I'm better than the next man. Uh, And so uh, it is that sense of, Uh, how you're seen and judged, that goes all the way to the top. And with it, that sense uh, that self-worth differs very much uh, between people. And so we all become more uh, insecure about our self-worth. And that's one of the things that feeds into um, uh, mental illness.
0: So in the book, you don't just diagnose the problem, you also offer some policy recommendations to tackle inequality. Can you share some of those? Well,
1: uh, there are, of course, lots of different ways of reducing income differences. And I should say um, it's probably not just income differences that matter. It's differences in wealth, I would say, uh, material differences in, in general, Um we we are by the way never talking about um, uh, perfect inequality. Our uh, study is simply empirical, so we're comparing uh, countries with differing amounts of inequality. But all the societies we look at have um, uh, class differences and so on, uh, social pyramids. It's just that it's a higher social pyramid in some societies than others. And in terms of policy. Um, you can, of course, uh, uh, redistribute income through taxes and benefits, and it's really important that we uh, stop tax avoidance and deal with tax havens. Uh, but the problem with doing that is not only that many people think of, of tax as a sort of legalized theft, uh, but also that um, uh, it's so easily undone, so a new government coming in uh, can un- undo any progressive changes in the tax system. So we think more fundamental uh, approach to dealing with these inequalities uh, is to, um, if you like, start off with smaller income differences before tax, um, and that means um, reducing the um Uh, uh, these top salaries. um, And we believe that that can best be done by um, stronger forms of economic democracy. In about half the member countries of the European Union, there is some legislation for employee representation on company boards. It's often just token representation, but in countries like Germany, it's quite strong. So in larger companies, half the the representatives on the remuneration committees uh, deciding pay have to be employee representatives. Um, And that seems to uh, lead to uh, less of the uh, enormously inflated salaries at the top. In the past, um, it was very clear that where trade unions were strong, um, countries with strong trade union movements Um, income differences were smaller. Uh, I think that isn't simply because trade unions made a difference to uh, wages of their members. I think that it was an indication of the strength of the, um, if you like, the strength of the uh, labor movement as a whole, um, the strength of social democratic parties, Uh, if you like, the strength of the belief that there was another way in which society could work better. Um, But as that uh, uh, disintegrated from about 1980 onwards, uh, you get this rapid rise in in income differences. And so if you look at the biggest uh, American companies, take the biggest 400 or so American companies, you find that CEOs were getting 30 or 40 times as much as the average production worker in around 1980. But from then on to uh, early in the uh, 21st century, you get a tenfold increase in the differences in within those companies uh, as top incomes take off. And that's bad for the companies. It's bad for productivity. Um, it's bad for social relations. Um, and bad for the rest of society. Uh, And so it's a matter of how to control that. And I think we have to extend democracy uh, from the political sphere, where it's becoming increasingly meaningless, into the economy, into the workplace, into business. Um, uh, I think that's really the most important thing to do. And it's much harder uh, than for successive governments Uh, to take away that extension of democracy and it it gets greater equality much more fundamentally embedded in our societies
0: the book is called the inner level how more equal societies reduce stress restore sanity and improve everyone's well-being richard wilkinson thank you for being with us
1: well thank you for having me
0: Okay, I hope you enjoyed our first transatlantic conversation. If you did, maybe that is your cue to go rate us five stars where you listen to podcasts. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in two weeks.